This is Consuming Culture, and I'm Kat McShane. I'm a journalist and filmmaker, and this podcast is all about how and why culture gets made, told through the eyes of the people who make it. Sounds simple, right? Well, I'm hoping this series gives some pretty unique insights into what it means to be an artist when the big issues of the day, like wealth inequality, advances in technology, and people-powered social movements are fundamentally altering the way culture is made, consumed, and valued. Jamila Johnson-Small is a London-based artist, dancer and choreographer. Working from the potential of dance as a radical social practice, Jamila is an innovator in live performance. Blurring genres and working with collaborators from across disciplines, they create charged worlds of sensory impact for performers and audiences alike. I spoke to Jamila at the beginning of March 2021, at the end of a long year of lockdown where live performance has largely been impossible. Good, hi Jamila. Um, thanks so much for being here today and getting involved in the podcast. How are you? I am okay, getting getting through, <laughs> learning things. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's good. Well, I mean, the, the very loose theme of this of this series, uh, as you know, is is to purge. In our initial chats about doing this podcast, you suggested that we use this idea of purging as a potential framing device for the conversation, just kind of getting rid of what we want to get rid of. So um, I'm going to tell you about what I've had to purge during the pandemic. Is that right? Yes, all good. (laughs) Okay, so I've been in a really horrible and brutal breakup and dealing with that relationship disappearing from my life. And I've also been making this series of the podcast and it's been a little bit therapeutic and a little bit awkward because I keep, <laughs> I keep wanting to relate everything I hear from the artists I speak to to my own personal experience. I imagine this is probably sometimes a bit inappropriate. Uh, and a few days ago on the weekend, I had to move out of the home that I share with my partner and the dog that I have been mum to for four years. And I'm sitting here dislocated in my mate's spare room. And I am really grappling with a kind of physical and emotional purging from my life. So what I want to know is, what have you purged this year, either physically or metaphorically or emotionally? You know what? I'm always like, oh, God, why did I suggest that? Like, (laughs) 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 Go around exposing myself. Um, But also maybe there's a question for me about, like, release in this last year. Mm. Because the ways I guess I have sort of allowed things that I want rid of to transform have often been through through the processes of making work and presenting work Mm. and through dancing um I think I realized in this time I almost like realized my own chat is actually true in this time. I'm like, oh yeah, dancing is really this like epic thing for me. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of stuff, stuff that hasn't made an exit yet, you know? Like I feel like I'm still holding mm. many things. And I guess like one of the ways that I'm trying to sort through and like get that stuff out is that last year, just before, lockdown maybe like the end of February last year I started recording writing down my dreams every day for the year and now I'm (laughs) usually late at night I am putting the dreams into a kind of spreadsheet and there's like the planetary movements there are people who appear in each dream there's like colors there are sort of different symbols that I list And I'm basically kind of trying to use the dreams as a mechanism to sort of like witness the shit that has been in my subconscious the last year and Mm -hmm. perhaps like in listening to it, like tabulating, reading, listening to all those things that came up, perhaps like let some of them move on. That's such a good idea. Um, But also that must be quite a complicated... um... (laughs) spreadsheet now that's a lot of work isn't it (laughs) it's a ridiculous spreadsheet and do you think you're going to make some work out of that I think that the way that I make work is just like there are 
things that I'm obsessing about at any given mm-hmm. moment. And then when there's a, an opening to create something, those things just sort of funnel in. So the dreams have been present in writing that I've done, I've been commissioned to do in the last year, and also in a sound, well, like the sort of beginnings of a sound work that I shared in February online. Um, so, yeah, they'll definitely be popping up <laughs> <laughs> and do you think it's an ongoing thing like or are you just going to sort of see when the dreams become less interesting and then just stop to be honest the dreams they're not even interesting I'm totally boring I've got like three <laughs> things I'm worried about and they just come back and haunt me all the time <laughs> <laughs> um, were you always dancing like even as a child was it always dance mm. I was always dancing, but didn't necessarily always want to be a dancer. Although I did mm. want to be a dancer. And sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I'm living my dream. Is that, <laughs> is that really true? Did you go to a specialist dance school? Carol Straker was quite a, I guess, like renowned black dancer. And she had a dance school not far from where my dad lived. Mm. And my parents just, I don't know, sent me there. Maybe I was around eight. And then there I was doing jazz and tap. And I was so excited by tap dancing. (laughs) It was really, yeah, really exciting. And after that, I just was always doing sort of after school weekend dance classes. And then I think a bit later, I I did a summer holidays, like theatre school thing where you sort of go there every day and at the end you do a show and for Mm -hmm. this one it was like the jungle book and I was one of the vultures and I really remember like my feet being painted yellow and like Mm -hmm. singing that we're your friend song oh my god but it was the person who ran that she was also a ballet teacher and I think Mm -hmm. she said to my mum oh you know your daughter should get involved with ballet classes um maybe it was about 11 and I was also like quite tall for my age. So I was going like to the ballet with the tiny, tiny, tiny children. And I was super tall and older and like trying to catch up, I guess, and feeling often quite humiliated in that context, I must say. When I was 18, 18, 19, after I finished college, yeah, when I was 18, I went for a year foundation at Lewisham College. Hmm. Um, didn't know what I wanted to study at university. And I was like, oh, let me just do this year dance course. It's free. Mm-hmm. But it was so intense. Like when yeah. I walked into it so casually, I was like, let me just do that. It'd be fun. And then I remember the director, name was Rebecca. She sort of sat me down and was like, so what are you going to do when this course finishes? Are you auditioning for the conservatoire dance schools? And I was like, well, you know, I don't think I'm good enough to get into one of these schools, blah, blah, blah. And then she just sort of gave me a good talking to and said, well, you should at least try an Mm. audition for one of those conservatoires. So I felt quite challenged. And I guess I'm not one to resist a challenge. And Mm. (laughs) I auditioned and got into all of them and chose to go to the place, London Contemporary Dance School, Mm -hmm. which is where I did my BA. So I was there for three years. And I also did an MA there, so I was there for five years in total, which is a long time. Yeah. Was that kind of what you expected it to be, dance school? Did you have sort of expectations of what it was going to be like, the atmosphere of it, as well as the discipline of the dancing? I think my expectations were really just like that it would be hard work. Yeah. It's weird thinking about it now, but I think I was was quite like determined. Like when I got in, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) and like so many things sort of went on or like now I have like many thoughts about pedagogical structures and like what it is to like all the different ways that one might teach or facilitate someone else's learning and what have you but I think then I was so determined that I let a lot of things slide even though that's not entirely true but yeah it was was and wasn't what I expected I'd say presumably it would have been quite difficult in those days to challenge your teacher I mean I was often in uh, debates let's say or disputes 
with various teachers. Uh, what were the disputes about? How would I say that? Often, I think, like, problems would come when I would ask too many questions. And maybe this is a theme in my life, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I asked one too many questions. And then I would say sometimes someone would get defensive or, like, feel a bit provoked. Because I really, like, want to understand things. (laughs) And especially if something feels, like, a a bit uneasy to me or, like, not. I'm like, mm, why would I do that? Like, I'll ask a question. And yeah, one time, this time, it really, like, this really upset me. One time I was just asking a question. We were learning some repertoire. I was asking a question about a step, like how, how I should do it, whatever. And then the teacher just, like, had it with me and was like, you're bringing negative energy to this class. Like, you've got to get out. Da, 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 da. And it really stunned me. I was like, oh. I thought I was just trying to do a good job <laughs> mm. but apparently I'm I'm being disruptive somehow yeah we didn't go on me and that guy and <laughs> um, when you left dance school what is there a sort of an expected route after you leave when I left I did do that MA which was in a postgraduate touring company which maybe was like, yeah, one of the suggested routes, you know, if you wanted to be a company dancer, you could sort of have this post-grad year learning repertoire, being on tour, performing and like building your skills in that way. Hmm. Uh, And then after I did that, I was like, I don't ever want to dance for anybody. (laughs) Hmm. It's just like, no, I'm not doing this. What was going on there? What what was what were the experiences made you think I'm not going to be choreographed I want to do it myself what was going on I think was me growing an awareness of um of I guess like the meaning my body carries and Mm -hmm. or can carry and not really trusting other people and I guess that you know all the choreographers we worked with were white choreographers not really trusting other people to be careful with that. Um, Mm. And I guess this thing of feeling, feeling like my body was being used for ends that either weren't necessarily communicated to me or ends that I didn't want to be supporting. And not in any like epic, problematic way, just like, hmm... I don't like this. Like, I don't like how this this role of being a dancer and like invites a kind of in- obedience mm. and I guess can lead to, for me, a sort of disconnect from myself, from my desires, from my needs, because to do a good job, I'm delivering what is asked. And in that, and there sometimes there's not enough space given or time given to questioning and like checking in with oneself being like hmm how do I feel about this and then all of a sudden I can be in a situation and I'm like oh I don't want to be here how do I get out what I'm thinking about now is a moment when I was in third year we did a we went with choreographers and to do a graduation mm-hmm. performance and there was this like process we were generating movement the choreographer was like okay now you go next to this person. Okay, now you do this movement standing up. Now you do this movement on your knees. Now you turn this way and that. And then all of a sudden I realised I was in a sort of position where the movement that I was doing was like very close to, basically I was on my knees in front of a a man, male dancer, Mm. doing this movement that just when the choreographer sort of like put them in place beside one another, looked like I was giving him head. And I was just like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you want to make a piece about sexual activity, fine. Like, we'll talk about that. But I don't want to suddenly be manipulated into, mm. like, that image. And for me, that image is a really, a really difficult image anyway. Um, so, yeah, like, things like that. I'm like, no, actually, I'm out. <laughs> 
no, no. I would imagine that there is this sort of unquestioning obedience that is asked of of dancers um, that makes it difficult to to speak up. Yeah, I think I felt just like in ways like I was being. I would have an easier time mm. if I was quiet and that's sad. And like, also that just made me feel like I couldn't grow in certain ways, you know, because I would say things would get into disputes. Someone would like think that I didn't like them or that I had a problem with them. I'd be like, no, I just don't want to mm. have my body used in sort of sneaky ways. Yeah. So how did you make a move into making work of your own I've always loved to make work actually yeah was it difficult though to kind of say okay I'm not going to be working within these sorts of structures environments I guess I mean presumably you used to go to auditions to be part of performances right and so were you then sort of saying actually I'm not going to do any of that I didn't really do the audition thing I've done one audition um Mm. And again, it was like another like extractive, exploitative situation where I was just like, hmm, no. Uh, it was, yeah. And what so happened? I'm, oh, you know, I'm like, is it about naming and shaming? It was just. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Um, no, but I'm like, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I mean, I felt, I find the work problematic and maybe we can decide to cut this, but I'll tell you anyway, like. I did this and it was like a huge audition you know not a for a job that I did not think I would get at all uh for DV8 and I think I can't remember which work it was but like lots of us from dance school went and whatever there are all these rounds you know like you get tapped on the shoulder or whatever you wear Mm -hmm. a different color wristband if you're in whatever anyway I stayed through to the end which I was very surprised by I think it was only because well, yeah, <laughs> I think it's only because of how I looked, not necessarily how I was performing. I stayed through to the end. And then what we were asked to do was to memorise this quite complicated footwork, like learn this from a performer and then perform that whilst listening to recordings of um, what I remember particularly was like, someone speaking like telling the story of her gang rape in South Africa and then the ask was to do this movement and repeat the words that were being said in my ears and again I was just like I don't know why I would do this I don't know what this serves and also this could be like really traumatic and triggering for me the director doesn't give a shit I just found it like yeah I wasn't down (laughs) Um. so what was the first piece of work that you choreographed your yourself professionally yeah um, yeah mm, yeah I think the first thing I did was with someone I used to collaborate with Miracalto in the first works she was performing solo and I was the choreographer and we made a piece um called handling it Mm -hmm. in I think 2009 2010 and yeah it was like a short solo for her but I guess that process was really meaningful for me like I learned a lot and I also I guess got to like inhabit my myself as choreographer like yeah yeah really realize like oh this is how I want to work and I like this is what I want to bring to sort of the the space I guess like the rehearsal space what dictates what you make I'm sure there's multiple triggers for that but is it that there's something that you will want to work through that dictates the start of a piece like needing to work through something that's happened in your life like losing someone or um breakdown of a relationship you know is that something that will that that will provoke the feelings that you want to kind of deal with and expel in a piece of work not consciously like mm. I guess I, like, I have a lot of formal interests or like maybe 
compositional like interests in compositional strategy or something and so I'm just busy like being like hmm, yes I want to think about the like one work I made I was just obsessed with dancing on the spot and I wanted to make a show where I dance on the spot for the duration and for it to be interesting <laughs> and like that's what I was busy thinking about but then the day of the premiere mm. I realized that the show was actually about my processing the death of my father so hmm. I think like I let things come in or I can't prevent like whatever's going in my life coming into the work but it's I don't hold it as the aboutness whilst I'm making something often I use the work or like the work decides they want to tell me oh actually like this is about this thing that happened or this is you letting go of the shit that was produced by this terrible event or whatever yeah. often things come out but surprising in surprising ways to me how does that make you feel when you've really been able to let movement out is it like a form of therapy or elation from really letting go I think the the times where I feel most maybe the word is expressed when the dancing somehow facilitates the ability to be in a state that can hold so many different things that are going on at once, like where I can think my thoughts, where I can feel my body, where I can, you know, have a sense of the work, where I can feel the people in the space, where I can sort of be in touch with energies and also like know about the architecture of the room I'm in, where I can feel the different sort of memories and sensations and thoughts that might surface or that do surface like as a body is moving like the movement can bring up things from the past like I guess like when multiple sort of realities can like exist at once in me and when I feel most present and expressed through this thing that is dancing I just think about it dancing facilitating a kind of very interesting state that can be thought of as trance-like or can be thought of as meditative and it also can be thought of as like becoming or being present um yeah it, it is it a kind of spiritual practice to get yourself into that state to release your body and your your feelings sort of freely yeah like to be doing with attention and intention anything can be, be i think a spiritual practice or a offer a spiritual moment how do you do that how do you sort of release yourself from being self-conscious about letting feelings and movements up and out for me there's always the sort of internal monologue that's like putting myself down oh this is ugly why are you doing that oh like you know it's just there telling me how much I'm failing or how horrible I am like that's always there but I think in the work I just decide that I'll turn that down <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's not serving the situation I guess that in itself is a practice like that's something I've learned to do through like being focused if I feel a bit scattered or if I'm distracted then those those thoughts can be more loud and I guess that lets me know that I need to do more work on that day in that moment to tune to myself in my environment and not to that yeah like self-critical monologue so does the dancing help defeat the negative self-thoughts no <laughs> sometimes the dancing produces them I think it's mm -hmm. like um but maybe it's <laughs> just asking for a friend <laughs> <laughs> like I used to dance so fast like and I think that was like a way I was just trying to avoid like that voice it's just like if I just go really fast and I won't be able to catch up with myself and all those narratives <laughs> and that kind of works like having sort of choreographic strategies like having something else to be concerned with can mm. help with turning those things down basic things like being really fast or like being really slow if I'm really busy trying to be as slow as I can possibly be I'm just I can get so engaged, involved with that, that 
the volume on that self-sabotage is just very very low because I'm really busy doing this other thing um mm. and I think I use things like that being really slow or whatever as tuning exercises as ways to get me into yeah like that state of calm and focus and connection have those um self-critical voices become more intense the more successful you've become well I mean as soon as I'm just like hmm but am I successful what is success what no I know as soon as I said it I was like let's just let's just say that you are okay just you know (laughs) no I just only have these shows here here and here no um have they got no I don't think well I think that I'm very I really yeah I'm very I'm very hard on myself Mm. and I've always been very hard on myself and I'm really yeah I want to do the best I can do all the time (laughs) as lame as that sounds and so I think the reason I also approach dancing in this way is to help turn down the very loud like pressure Mm. that I can put on myself I wouldn't say it's better or worse. I think I have like mechanisms for dealing with it, but I guess it shows up in surprising ways all the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do you think you experience it more than other, like your, you know, than contemporaries? You know, I recognise similar traits in people close to me. And we have conversations about this a lot, like <laughs> giving each other advice that actually we could take for ourselves. But um, I always wondered if you were holding yourself up to a higher standard that in some way you'd made a sort of stand in the work that you are uh, producing as well. And the fact that you decided quite early on, I guess, to, you know, to create your own work, choreograph your own own, own work, um, whether that creates an almost heightened pressure on yourself as well to deliver. Uh, I'm, I was having actually this conversation yesterday with a collaborator of mine Phoebe and a good friend Phoebe Collins James um this thing of feeling like other people are mirrors for my own failure <laughs> like when being seen by them the criticism that I'm most concerned about is my own and I like project my own criticisms of myself onto them and can get carried away with that but I do think like the thing of putting pressure on myself is I don't think it's entirely bad, but I also think it's something to do with being being black. Like, you know, I turn up to teach people and I'm like, oh, I don't know if you've ever been taught by a black woman before. So I like there's, and I feel like I need to do a lot and this mm-hmm. a lot can be, you know, quite subtle. It's not necessarily like a lot that I can say in words or a lot that I can yeah, like this a lot just can be quite subtle, but I feel like I need to do a lot of work to get people to respect me when I come into a meeting, when I go into a room to facilitate something, when I'm speaking at an event, when I'm popping up on Zoom, you know, mm. I don't, I look young and I'm black and I'm in this body. And I feel like I need to do a lot to just get to the basic place where I can then do what I do. Um, yeah. So think that also makes me harder myself because I can feel like I need to be bringing like my best and having that shine so clearly so it can be undisputed <laughs> yeah. um, and that not being only about me but that being about others and that being about like wanting to obliterate a system and I guess, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on oneself on a, on a Zoom call, so. <laughs> <laughs> How much of your work on stage then is still, well, is about um, confronting expectations um, put on your body? That's one of the things I try to turn down. <laughs> and like, I want my work to be this space where... Mm. I get to just be me. Like, I get mm. to be as much as I ever am, I guess, like more than I ever on my own terms. I get to be with the colours, the textures, the lighting, the sound. Like I get to build a world that 
I like <laughs> that prioritizes <laughs> things that are important to me and I'm not feeling always like that my presence is confronting yeah I guess that makes sense was there a moment where you thought actually you know I, I don't want to be um dealing in such a sort of political way um was there a kind of moment where you're like actually no I can use the resources that I've got and the the sort of power that I have to create another worldliness in the work that I do I wouldn't say my work isn't political but then Mm -hmm. I think ideology is present in any of our actions um any of our engagements with the world and like there's definitely a politic in the ways that I choose to represent myself or the things Mm -hmm. that I choose to expose like I I have intention, political intention, let's say that in that the I'm and like part of that is that I'm not interested or I'm do not want to continue to center values that do not recognize or value like me, my body, and for one of better words, like my people. Like that is not going to be what I orient myself around, what I run around, like, you know, actually to try and connect with with this thing that is my own desire, is my Mm -hmm. body, is like the psychic and sensory information that I receive through this, this thing that is medium, my body, like centering (laughs) those things or working from those things feels like a political proposition to me in yes. within this landscape within this structure presumably it's a kind of like a work in progress of, of freeing yourself I mean we're forever a work in progress no like freeing I don't know if I'm mm. like my training I'm really rather than trying to unlearn the things like I guess I accept and try to enjoy the fact like what is in my body mm. I guess I try not to prioritise any te- dance technique, mm-hmm. but it, I do, I also try not to block it. Like I do love the facility in me that that training has given. Mm. And I don't, like, I'm so curious as to how I would dance if I didn't do a dance training. Like I would love, <laughs> love, love to see that. But I also don't regret going through that and the time that I had to be concerned with my moving to learn about my muscles to Mm. learn about like my sensation and like what yeah to learn about myself but that was definitely useful research time Mm. and yeah just try to let other things in rather than undo some things I try to let more in in terms of letting things in, it seems like intimacy with the audience is also important to you. Um, is there a, a reciprocal relationship between you and your audience? When you're choreographing a, a, a piece or thinking about a piece, are you thinking, this is, what the, this is what I want an audience member to get out of it? Maybe in a more general way. Like, I'm quite interested in, like, audiences feeling both like feeling their bodies being invited to be very engaged with their physical with their own physical reality um and yeah I'm quite interested in them having choice Mm -hmm. and also having well yeah choice like because I guess as a or as a choreographer I don't want to dictate like I want to make a space but I don't want to dictate how people are in that space Mm. so I try to do things that invite upon entering the room so people having to make a choice (laughs) um when would be a good example of when you've done that and you felt like yeah the audience had a choice when they entered into into the space when do you think you kind of executed that well I mean in a very basic way the choice can be like how and where they place themselves in this um so heavy-handed we crushed the moment that I did in my god in November 2019 um Hmm. the seating 
which I was like part standing, part seated, but the seating was on the set, which were three big rock sculptures. Yeah. So, and then when people came in, me and the other performer, Fernanda Munoz Newsom, were lying on massage tables having acupuncture. Uh-huh. So we were kind of, we weren't performing, right? We were just more objects in the space in a way. And we were mm-hmm. also receiving a treatment. And people on entering the room, I guess, like, had choice about what they would decide would be a good seat or if they wanted to observe, like, if the show had started, they could kind of decide if the show had started and if they wanted to look at us or if they wanted to sit down or stand and drink a beer and talk to a friend. Like, I guess people made different decisions about the beginning of the work and the centre or the focal point of the space, which I really, like, was Mm. pleased about. So not having uh, been able to do performances in lockdown, how has that been for you? Have you missed the that sort of interactivity with audiences? I've had like a long... I've been confused about performing for a long time. I've been like, I don't really like being looked at. Why am I doing this thing? Mm. And every time I used to do it, I used to feel like, I guess maybe the voices have got less loud. I used to feel so depressed after I performed for a long time. Mm. And like, why am I doing this thing that's like traumatic? Like what's going on? And in the last years, that's definitely shifted and I've like made more sense about uh, the, in the doing of it for myself. But I guess over lockdown, I really, I realise I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And not just because it's gone, but also because I'm not exhausted. Um, You know, I was doing a lot lot of shows and I was moving around a lot and I was just tired. Mm. So part of my, like, not even ambivalence, but like confusion at some point was about just being tired. (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that thing like it nourishes me and it's interesting and I like to do it can I do it again please (laughs) (laughs) by being as sort of open and letting you know but by being open do you also risk allowing too much projection onto your body like you just said you'd feel really depressed when you came off stage and over time also become exhausted is that about kind of absorbing people's gaze or is that absorbing other people's trauma that's being projected onto you and can you protect yourself from that I like that you asked this question I think it's an important question like for performers to be asking themselves these things um I think like the psychic exchanges or the energetic exchanges can like be very powerful in that kind of that dynamic between performer and audience and working to be open to those things but not to hold them Mm. I think is uh, interesting and perhaps what I was struggling with for a long time not knowing what was mine and what wasn't and not knowing how to process the things that were mine and the things that weren't and and this word protection I think is really interesting because I guess under capitalism protection you know I see like what do you call those things padlocks and I see surveillance and I see Mm. locked doors and like padding or whatever and so I think protection can be associated with being closed so thinking about like protection and opening I think it's really interesting and I guess there are things sort of surrounding a performance that can help me with that situation which is just like having space before to like tune in and prepare so that I'm kind of grounded when when it begins and having space afterwards to just be with whatever's coming through and be quiet and just take a minute because sometimes like launching back into like I don't know whatever like post-show drinks or something like in a state of quite like I guess like feeling quite tender yeah can yeah just like exacerbate that feeling of holding multiple energies and like confusion um confusion and distress but for me taking just like time for myself or like with in a controlled environment let's say is really helpful and taking time in the next days taking time to write taking time to sort of like speak to Mm. 
people that I speak to mm. to sort of get things out can be really, really helpful. But I think, yeah, those things like making space and time and trying to stay attentive. Can you think of an instance when you might have cracked yourself open too much in a performance? Too much. Too much is an interesting term. Mm. I guess like part of my invitation to myself is to not try and censor or control Mm -hmm. in the like, yeah, within the sort of frame of the work. So sometimes like my ego might have felt something is too much, but like me thinks, oh, that's really amazing that that just happened and I let it happen in that public forum. So no not 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 too much um you collaborate a lot obviously with people from across disciplines what do you gain both personally and professionally from that other people to talk obsessively about the work with because <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking like actually when you think about the single dancer or even joined with by other dancers on stage it that your the role has the potential to be really quite an isolated and vulnerable one right it's a single person on the stage with all the eyes on you um so is there a safety or a a comfort uh to collaboration I think yeah I think working with others especially I guess others when they're not even well yeah when they're also working live so Jackie Shemesh the lighting designer I work with Mm. will be doing live manipulations of the lighting and Josh and Neo Grigg, the sound designer I work with, is often, yeah, manipulating the sound live. So I feel, what, even if I'm on stage alone, I feel like I'm in dialogue, which can help me feel a bit more relaxed or, yeah, less isolated. So that sense of... And I'm also someone who, like... I don't know if better is the right word, but, like, I, I do... Like, I feel off of others or like being in relation helps me clarify my position sometimes alone I'm just a bit too like spread out (laughs) Mm. Um, and then other people help me focus in in more coherent ways I think has the subject matter of what you want to tackle uh been changed at all by the pandemic I wouldn't say so I think the because I guess I don't start from a subject maybe in the next years I'll realize that the pandemic totally transformed the things that I was looking at but right now I guess my concerns are, are the same I'm thinking about intimacy alienation spectacle and relation um, and maybe like what those things mean or how they can manifest changes with the different conditions but I don't think the hmm. aboutness of the work changes. I think it's definitely always a a vibe. <laughs> so have you got something planned then? When where can people see you next if uh, the restrictions are lifted? Oh, if when? I mean, I've got a million things planned, but whether the yeah whether they'll come through is another question. I guess there's been when lockdown happened last year. I was about to have a show open for Art Now at Tate Britain. Mm-hmm. And this show has been postponed and I think hopefully it will happen sometime this year. It, but I also shifted that around and it's going to be um, not a live work. It will be a series of videos or video installation, which I'm really excited about. Actually, I'm editing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited precisely because I guess I can feel like like previously video's always been something that has accompanied my live work mm. and now I'm starting to see like in this editing process starting to see the like my li- like concerns in live space manifesting in the video work which feels like a really yeah it feels like an exciting moment in that way what are the concerns that you see in your in your live work that you can now see in your video work well, like this tension between opening, like being seen mm-hmm. and leaving space for people to see themselves, like, 
Um, so a play between light and darkness, a concern with the potential spectacle of the tiniest movement and mm -hmm. an interest in the way that the tiniest movement in one place impacts another part of the space. Yeah, like a concern about connectivity, I guess, always. Um, and a desire to, yeah, like affect the bodies of the audience. Somehow produce a physical effect in their bodies. Oh, yeah, I would think that maybe if people can watch it on video, presumably it'll be like sort of looped, will it? So people can watch it for, watch it multiple times. Does that actually allow them to engage with it more than in a live performance? No, because it had like... <laughs> no, just no. No, I mean, it will be installed. So that work will have a, there'll be other elements, let's say, yeah. not just the videos. And I think like the implications of like live presence are just so multiple that and like constantly shifting, you know, that all the things like just, yeah, like what it is to be looking at someone, be feeling yourself, be like in shifting relation because everyone's moving, to feel the changing temperatures, to feel the breeze as someone moves by you quickly, to feel the heat or electricity as someone's very close to you, to think, oh shit, I'm really hungry, I need my dinner, or like to feel your bladder filling up and you need to pee and you're not at home, so you can't just go to the toilet. You have to like be okay, like what do I do here? Like just all the all the little things of being in proximity, in life proximity. I, they just fascinate me. So many things going on all the time, like so unpredictable. Yeah, and you're so very changing. Yeah, it, it, do you think all dancers are kind of just very much aware of their bodily sensations than um, normal people, ordinary <laughs> normal people? <laughs> people like, do you think you're just much more like permanently aware of how your body is feeling? What bit of your body is speaking to you at any given time? I don't know. I mean, I am, I do, like, that is my specific research. Like, I'm really interested in feeling, feeling all the feelings, <laughs> feeling what's there and, like, techniques and strategies for being able to connect with all the information that we, like, our bodies enable us to have access to all the time. I don't know if everybody feels the same. But. Well, I, I guarantee you they don't because... <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's really interesting talking to you, actually, because, I mean, it, it's probably quite a rudimentary book, but I'm just reading The Body Keeps the Score at the moment. Do you know that book? Oh, my God, so interesting. I have lots of things to say about that book. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, <yeah. laughs> well, that's good. I mean... How should we sum it up? I'm sure most people listening to this podcast will probably have read it too. I think it's actually become a bit, I know it's released a few years ago, but I think it's actually become a bit of a lockdown um, resurgence in it. I feel like mm. a lot of people were reading it um, and that probably does make sense on some level. I mean, I've in periods of my life found it very difficult to like access my body, been very disassociated from my body, had repetitive problems in relationships uh, related to that and and so when I started reading the body keeps the score which is about how the body keeps trauma within it and that how can affect the way that you behave uh if you don't use strategies to release it in very brief sum um when I started reading the body keeps the score it was like oh my god this is this is me this is like this is this is kind of explaining how I've been all my life and then when I was thinking about talking to you I thought oh well you know actually I guess part of your work, it seems like, is, you know, obviously you get yourself into a, a state where you can actually deal with that. In a way, is that a way of you kind of expelling that trauma, expelling those feelings, expelling those experiences with obviously from a, a physical standpoint? Definitely. There's something about, yeah, like being with what, like trying to create conditions for something to surface, think the things that are there to surface and then letting them flow through and I think in performance, if working to be like open to my own stuff surfacing, that like energy is also an energy for like being open to other people's stuff. 
somehow, like just what is in the room. So I think that like that kind of work is not only for me personally, like it's not an energetic release just for me, that other people watch. It's like one that involves the room somehow. And Mm. I guess I'm, as I go, I'm learning more and more about what that is or how to be more sensitive, more aware, how to tune more in more detail to things on these levels. Um, I think that's a really good note to uh, finish on, actually. Unless there's anything more that you would like to talk about. No, I feel like I've, I feel like I've gone. I feel like I've been on a journey. <laughs> I've had many thoughts. Thanks for joining us on Consuming Culture and to my contributor Jamila Johnson-Small. Thanks also to my editor Dan Bolger. Make sure to visit us on Instagram where you can see artwork especially commissioned for this series. If you don't want to miss future shows then do subscribe and while you're at it if you liked it we'd appreciate a rating. See you next time. Baby Don't go to bed hungry